Hello and welcome back to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists, from where their journeys began, where they are now, and everything in between. I am your host, Anisha Patel, and on today's episode, I am thrilled to share an inspiring conversation I had with Netta Tyler. Netta and I met in 2009 when I was working as a pre-registration pharmacist at Royal Papworth Hospital NHS Foundation Trust. She has been a loyal employee of the hospital for nearly two decades and has dedicated most of her career to the world of antimicrobials. In the last four years, her role has expanded where she spends part of her time working as a specialist antifungal pharmacist at Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. Our conversation begins at the start of Netta's career, where she decides to go on an adventure to Bermuda to work as a pharmacist. We share stories of the ups and downs of expat life. I enjoyed this discussion because we share similar opinions on international work experience and how these opportunities open our eyes to the different ways of practicing pharmacy compared to the traditional career pathways in the UK. During her time in Bermuda, Netta was also the president of the Bermuda Pharmaceutical Association. Upon returning to the UK, Netta moved to Cambridgeshire and quickly found herself a pharmacy role at the Royal Papworth Hospital. She transitions into a specialist antimicrobial pharmacist role and shares how this job has developed over time and how the antimicrobial team is slowly expanding with new and exciting opportunities for both pharmacists and pharmacy technicians. It was so great to reconnect with Netta after 10 years, one of the many reasons I love having this podcast. I hope you guys enjoy it. So firstly, uh, welcome to Pharmacist Diaries, um, your first experience on a podcast, which is really exciting. Down with the kids. Yeah, why not? Um, I know I started this podcast during uh, the height of COVID when I was teaching university students and trying to find a suitable platform where they can educate themselves on what pharmacists are doing out there and kind of um, showcasing what pharmacy professionals are capable of um, through, I guess, the the internet um, and not having that kind of face-to-face contact through conferences and and doing things like we used to. And um, it's, it's, it's done really well in a, in a, in a great way internationally. There's so many people listening in as well to learn about what's happening in England, um, in terms of pharmacy. And I've also tried to interview pharmacists from abroad, which has been really nice to kind of get to know what people are doing outside of the UK as well. Um, so I appreciate your time because obviously everyone who comes on the podcast is, is doing it for, for the joy of, of sharing. Um, I usually start by asking you why you became a pharmacist in the first place. Well, um, I really liked the sciences at school. I loved chemistry, like like biology too. Um, and I, I kind of knew that's, that they would be involved in my future. Um, I, I come from a quite a poor background, and I was kind of the first in my um, generation to um, go to university and so it was really important to me you know my parents had always really encouraged me but I wanted to be able to leave university with a job and a profession and um, and so um, the pharmacy seemed to be the way to go for me 
you know, I really, I just love the science of it all and the practicality, how you can apply that, you know, to, you know, making the best use of medicines for patients. So that's kind of how I ended up in um, in um, pharmacy. And and during your university years, what elements of the course did you sort of fall in love with and where, I guess, where did that, help you to see where you were going to work um in terms of your future again chemistry was you know where i you know where i sort of specialized into into university but i think you know when i qualified it was when i came to qualify and then i, I did a pre-reg which was um a continuous professional development. There was no exam at the end of it. It was still really an eye opener as to sort of the how to apply it. I think probably the degrees now are a lot more, you know, equipped for people to be better pharmacists right from the get go. So you know, I felt at university it was still a sort of didactic learning where you learn huge chunks of information and you kind of regurgitate them but you don't actually understand what you're learning and I think I think I was you know sort of science the chemistry was really interesting but it wasn't until you know I left university that I learned what a pharmacist was all about Mm. definitely the course has evolved Mm. I think there are some elements of the courses um from you know 15 to 20 if not more years ago that were really valuable so the sandwich courses that used to exist where you used to go on six two six-month placements for example like Bradford University back in the day Um, I'm not sure actually what they do now in terms of placements but it's definitely not going to be a a six-month um because of the pre-reg or the trainee pharmacist year Um, but it used to be two six months so you'd actually go to university for the first six months and then in the following six months you would be out in practice which makes it so much more practical as a student to see where you're applying your knowledge and actually get to do it um so I think there are elements of the the old courses that we could bring back and we should learn from because um it's always useful to to take that reflection and kind of have a 360 in terms of making sure that we're doing what's right for the current generation. Um, I do. I do think that the current generation of pharmacists who are coming out of of university, um, they struggle a little bit more with the skills side in terms of soft skills and communication and um, building that confidence sometimes, or managing their time, organization. Um, when they first come into um, the trainee pharmacist year, it takes them a little bit longer to kind of like get into routine. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they haven't necessarily done lots of uh, work experience prior to coming into um, their job. So it is their first official job, which is really hard. You're, you're still learning a massive amount of information, especially if you're in a hospital pharmacy and you're rotating every sort of two weeks to a new specialty area. It's new people, you know, a new ward, new medications that you're getting used to. Um, you know, the routine of your standard day-to-day would be different because you're exposed to wards, clinics, MDTs, dispensary, MI, 
um, on top of the fact that you need to study, on top of the fact that you actually have a job. Um, so, you know, it can be, it can be quite a challenge, um, but it's interesting. Uh, I guess, what was your first job when you qualified? So I went from, I did my pre-reg at Ealing Hospital, which had a good sort of reputation, the Northwest Thames region for training. And then I went to King's for um, um, for about three years. And so on the various rotations around the wards and um, in a bit in aseptics and cytotoxics, TPN. But um, yeah, that was a good sort of basis to see you know, sort of a bit of everything it was a, you know, it was, it was still, a, you know, it was a really large hospital with lots of specialities. So the, you know, the training there was excellent, and and I always felt uh, what really interested me was the sort of um, public health, really, and helping people to help themselves. I see that sort of as a a, a bigger part of being a pharmacist, and um, and so after I've done. You know some train, you know some rotational trainings. I did some work in the dispensary, and and then I decided, you know, I might want a job in in P, PCT world as it was called then, or the CCG or the ICS is now. And um, so I thought, oh, I better sort of um, maybe I need some community experience because I hadn't really got any community experience because I do think probably. You know, when you're in hospital, people are already kind of ill to start with. So it'd be nice to sort of get in there on, you know, on the ground and have some interface there. So then I went um, and got a job with um, Boots and then I did various roles there. Sort of I did the, you know, sort of the relief around the city of London. And then I went into working into one of their flag stores at Croydon. That was really busy. I can just my memory of Groydon is just checking, checking, really, you know, so, oh, it was just like that constant. And then I went to work in an out of town in pharmacy, and then sort of I did a diploma in um, community pharmacy, and I got some, you know, they they were kind of developing a consultancy role. They recognised that not everybody wanted the business model and wanted to go into management and run stores, but there was a sort of clinical aspect. So I started my diploma and then I um, I saw an advert for a job in Bermuda and then I thought, oh, no, I can't do that. I've just started my diploma. And my parents, but my dad used to work abroad and so that they, I'd always been encouraged to work abroad. And then when I finished the diploma, um, I saw another advert for Bermuda and then I thought, I just knew that job was mine and my co- you know a colleague said to me Nettie you're talking about like you've got it and um, yeah uh, and I got it so when um, I went it was pretty much a safe bet really because Bermuda is a British colony and crown colony and um, so they practice British law pharmacy so it was our UK laws you had to do a three-month pre-reg and sit three exams but it has a lot of these sort of, um, the, you know, a lot of American and Canadian health models. And so then I went to work in retail in in Hamilton, in the capital of Bermuda, and I met a great team. And I think when you go to work abroad, I was just totally surrounded by like-minded individuals 
And so for the first year, it was it was like being back at university. It was, you know, it was parties, gatherings, expat community, you know, it was that kind of thing. And then I was able to save and and because it's, it's you don't really get taxed very much in Bermuda. You just you just they just tax everything else, but your salary is what your salary is. And um, and then so then but there's no university in Bermuda to study pharmacy. And so Bermudians, when they come to study pharmacy, they have to go abroad. So um, either Canada, USA or the UK, those are the main places. Some go to the Caribbean. And so um, Hamilton Pharmacy had their own um, pharmacist who was at Bradford. And when my work permit was up for renewal, because you're there on a work permit, and Sarah came back from qualified, so then my work permit couldn't be replaced. But fortunately, um, the hospital, King Edward VII, they had a work permit and needed a pharmacist. And so I was able to get that job as there was no Bermudians on the island who were going for that job. So um, that was very fortunate for me. So that's how I ended up back in hospital. And But with a work permit and being an expat, you can only do what's on your job in your work permit. You can't expand the role or develop a role. That's very much sort of left for Bermudians to do. You just have to, you just tie to your job. And so um, I met my husband in Bermuda. He was working in IT for a department store. And then so we kind of, if, after a while in Bermuda, you kind of feel unsettled because it's just like being a student and you can't own a car and that belong, you know, that, that's kind of, there's one car per household. And so that's usually the Bermudians, you know, the Bermudian will have the car permit. So you can't really settle, you can't buy a house, not unless you're sort of, I don't know, the president of Italy or something like that, you know, unless you bring some money to the island. And so then we came back to the UK and then we Rob got a job in Cambridge and so we moved to Cambridge and then I was just taking um, delivery of the last white goods. The freezer just arrived and I thought, oh, well, I better start looking for a job. And I was really lucky because it was what's called the fallow year where the degree went from three years to four years. So there was nobody coming out of university that year. And so um, I rang up um, Papworth, which was um, seven, seven minutes down the road and asked if they had the job. And they said, oh, come for an interview. So I went for an interview on a Wednesday and I got a job. I started working on the Monday. Oh, that's and amazing. That's how it was. And I was really fortunate because they, it was, it was over summer. And so now I've just celebrated working Pat with Royal Pat with now um, for 19 years. Whoa. It, and it was, they had a, somebody who was leaving. So that then I was kind of like a bit of a bank, but then I kind of went into the rotational post so you know I've got experience in cardiac surgery cardiology thoracic surgery and medicine transplant critical care and I kind of um, became you know I worked closely with the respiratory support and sleep center and 
that 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 went for some time and then the opportunity to do antimicrobial stewardship came along and so then I've been there ever since really and and you know I, and then about four years ago there was an opportunity to join CUH and Royal Patworth was moving already to their campus site so it, it just moved, allowed me to sort of specialise in antifungal medicines and initially I was working NHS England funded the post for a couple of years and then there was an antifungal sequence so CUH kept me on so um, it's half and half now. I mean nearly two decades is such a long time I mean that's amazing (laughs) to have worked somewhere for that long and it's um you know uh, I I love the idea of being loyal to an organization and kind of you know staying through and through and seeing all the changes and kind of being part of that service for such a long time um yeah that's amazing before I go into your antimicrobial role um did you like working as a pharmacist in Bermuda apart from the fact that it is challenging to not be able to implement change and kind of service improvement because I kind of went through a similar experience when I worked in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Um, You're obviously living the expat life. Um, You're living under a work permit, so you have to follow the regulations of the work permit. Um, We are able to buy cars. (laughs) We were able to buy uh, cars out there. But obviously, most people will be renting flats or kind of um, villas and things like that. And, and, And that feeling of being unsettled, it just doesn't go away. Um, I stayed for five years, my husband stayed for 10. And um, similar to you, we kind of met, um, he was already living in Dubai, came home to London because he's from here on holiday. And we met through friends um, at a dinner, um, basically. And then I decided after my residency to move out there for him. Um, and I worked in two jobs as a pharmacist. Uh, one was ambulance services and Formula One. And then I went to hospital and worked for Cleveland Clinic um, because they opened um, a hospital um, just a few years ago. Um, but services are extremely different. And what you're allowed to do as a pharmacist in comparison to the UK is very different. And being a junior pharmacist, just coming out of a residency where you feel like you're on top of the world and you're like this machine who can handle everything and anything. Um, you know, I, I felt like I suddenly sort of slowed, not slowed down, but I wasn't allowed to do things or think outside the box. Or if I had an idea that I could implement on a ward, it, you know, I didn't necessarily have the ability to just go out and do it. Um, and I felt a bit, you know, trapped from that perspective and living in a country where you are on a a permit, it just feels very unstable for me. I wasn't used to that environment and it took me a long time to kind of adjust to it. And I don't think I actually ever really did. I think we left partly because I just always felt a little bit unsettled. Um, and we had some issues after my daughter was born. Um, I got pregnant there and, um, the Cleveland Clinic were really kind, said that they would give her a visa because obviously I need to sponsor her to, to live there and give her a permit um, to live there. Um, but So I came home to London to give birth and then flew back um, after about a month um, and then started organizing her permit. And being a woman, um, it became challenging to then sponsor her 
And they said, because you're a female, you're unable to do it. And I was like, what? I did like, I've just had a child and you've told me I can do it. And now you're telling me I can't like everything just went up in the air. And sometimes you feel like, you know, there are rules in place, but those rules can be changed when you're living outside of the UK. Um, and you know, one rule might apply to one person and another rule, it seems applies differently to someone else. And that was the experience we had. Um, I literally had a month of a tourist visa for her. And then when you, you have to exit the country, I got to literally 29 days was struggling to get her sponsored because of all the processes and had to drive to Oman in the car, stop for breastfeeding along the way on my own and literally exit the country in Oman and do a U-turn and get re-stamped to give her an additional, yeah, 30 days, all in the span of like dealing with becoming a mother, a new mother, you know, to my first child and then preparing to go back to work at six weeks because maternity leave is six weeks. So it was just a really stressful experience. And I just felt very uncomfortable in that moment that this is, it just doesn't feel quite right for me to live in a world where I feel this unstable. And, um, eventually after she was one years old, we decided that we would go home. And for a lot of other reasons, we miss family. I miss greenery. I miss, I missed England so badly, so badly. Beaches were amazing. I had a pool at my flat, like, you know, the weather's amazing in, in Abu Dhabi. Like there was convenience is key. Like they have everything on your doorstep kind of thing. There were so many advantages, but just deep down for some reason, I, I missed it. I missed home. I missed the NHS massively. Um, and now I've come home, my feelings are slightly different and I can see things from a little bit more of a wider perspective in terms of how I felt. And I lived very much in the moment. Um, and I was quite emotional, I think, um, in comparison to how I am now. Um, but you know, I feel what you're saying in terms of the instability with um, a, a work permit life. Yeah, I mean, Bermuda was fun and it was so beautiful and you'd have your scooter and you'd be cycling along and, uh, and then you'd have to stop because the scenery, the, you know, all these lovely coloured cottages, the pink sands, the turquoise seas, they take your breath away. But at the end of the day, you know, the island is 21 miles long and about three miles wide and you know the people there were wonderful and the the, the expats I worked with were wonderful and I, we I had probably as as much fun as a pharmacist you know has at work with their colleagues at Hamilton Pharmacy that was you know that was we were just such a tight-knit unit it was great right from the get-go and um, and then one of the pharmacists was um, my bridesmaid so you know and she's gone off to live in Canada now and so um, while whilst I was there you know I became the president of the Bermuda Pharmaceutical Association and you get involved in the community and do what you can but you, you never feel you, you know you can't settle there you know you, 
and then as when we, we, Rob and I wanted to settle down, have a family, get married, and so you know we felt the right decision was to come back to the UK, um, and then and then you know when I came back to the UK, just like you, I thought, oh my gosh, the UK is wonderful in terms of the greenery. The fields, it was a different kind of beauty and the sort of how different parts of the UK are completely different. And even, you know, just in, not just the people and the culture, but how it looks, you know, so houses in Cornwall versus, you know, in the Midlands and up in the North Yorkshire. It was just, it was, it just made you appreciate the UK more. Mm, definitely. So, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I love, I mean, you're in a great part. I mean, I'm in Hertfordshire. I'm not too far from you. Um, I'm in Tring um, near Ellsbury. Um, but Papworth and Cambridgeshire has incredible beauty. Um, and having public footpaths on your doorstep, I mean, I'm literally right on the Chilterns and we have public footpaths, you know, 360 degrees around our house where we can go and enjoy the great outdoors um and having a, a young child and being able to expose her to that has been wonderful I think we would have had a really enjoyable experience because she loves swimming because in her first year of life obviously she got to swim every day um and she's obsessed with swimming so you know if you ask her where she'd prefer to live she'd automatically though she doesn't remember obviously living abroad she automatically says can we go back because all she wants to do is be at the beach and be at the pool and it is a really nice experience and having that on your doorstep is a beauty that that I thoroughly enjoyed Um, that there was different ways to practice pharmacy and you know, I found you know at times the sort of environment of teaching hospitals quite competitive and quite mm. and a bit backstabby, really. And and you kind of it was lovely to come away and think actually, you don't have to be like that or work in that you know in that environment. You can actually go and and be equally sort of valued and enjoy it your job in a different type of pharmacy and I think it opened mm. my eyes to really you didn't there wasn't just one path that you, you had to go you felt you had to go down to be successful in pharmacy definitely that there was some, you know there was different ways of living your life and they were all equally valid and you know and sort of made you feel good you know what I mean and brought happiness to you so um, I, th- I thank Bermuda for that really uh, I love that sort of um, international family as well because you're all in the same position where you don't have extended extended family members with you. So when I worked for the government in Abu Dhabi for the ambulance organization, we were working with paramedics from all over the world and I met the most amazing, kind, caring humans from, you know, England, Ireland, like Kiwis, Australians, South Africans. And, uh, you know, a few of those people have stayed in, in, in touch with us and kind of we've remained friends uh, at the moment. It feels like a virtual friendship. But, you know, you, you've got that kind of friend for life because you've been through a very similar experience. And 
I do say to students and to the younger generation of pharmacists that, you know, you don't have to stick to the one pathway, like just because you start off in community does not mean that you need to stay in community. Similar to me, I started in hospital. I left hospital, but I gained a stupid amount of transferable skills, which then allowed me to be a better pharmacist upon returning. And yes, I at the time, you know, I was in my late 20s, I felt very much um, behind my colleagues or my or the other residents that I, you know, worked alongside at the time. They had all kind of transitioned into specialist band seven roles um, and then kind of started 8A roles by the time that I returned. And I felt um, a little bit lost because I had tried two different you know, jobs while I was away. And though they provided with me with so much skill, I felt like the hospital experience kind of expects you to just transition the very standard way. Um, and you become a little bit brainwashed to that. Um, I think things are changing now, but you know, during my experience, I felt like we were really brainwashed to actually follow that pathway, go down the RPS route, you know, of, um, the advanced pharmacy framework and faculty, you know, become a consultant pharmacist, like that was kind of the be all end all. Um, things have definitely evolved. Um, but from my experience, that kind of trapped me mentally and emotionally because I felt guilty that I hadn't done that. And I wasn't as good of a pharmacist because I hadn't followed what was considered kind of the the best pathway for a hospital pharmacist. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. For sure. I think it's interesting now, I think in our region, with the, the sort of um, the hospital environment, like you say, they've had to change and evolve because a lot of pharmacists now, with the, with the challenges of in East, England, East of England in, anyway, with the GP situation, the GP vacancies, you know, there's a staggering amount of pharmacists now working with in, in GP land, mm. uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I think all hospitals in the region are struggling for to recruit pharmacists. So they, you know, absolutely. So I think they're open now to people who haven't gone down a conventional path, and that's yeah. a good thing that you know you, you end up with a workforce. And I think this is something I've realised that you know you learn things from everybody, and you know you. you you know, and I, what I'm loving about where I am now is, you know, I'm surrounded by really clever, intelligent people and it's, and I hope I can give, you know, I know I can give things to them, but they give to me, do you know what I mean? And I, I just think a, a broader mix of people lends itself to better ways of working and a better work life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's really important as well for people to remember to not compare yourself to what's yeah. happening around in your environment. And it is easy to do that. I mean, especially if you're in a teaching hospital where things are a little bit more on the competitive side, especially as a junior. But do you understand what it is that you are personally, truly passionate about? And follow that pathway because if you enjoy what you do and you're passionate about what you do, then you will succeed and you will achieve all of the dreams that you wanted. Sometimes you don't know what those dreams are. That's how I felt after residency because I just loved everything. My problem was that I loved every specialty and I couldn't really figure out 
exactly what I wanted to do. But now I'm like, why was I rushing to find that specialty in the first place? You know, I've learned from my mistakes and I'm not even that experienced. I've only got 11 years worth of experience and I'm now kind of figuring these things out. And it's really important for me to kind of share these things on the podcast because obviously um, the younger generation of pharmacists will go through similar experiences and it's good to know that, you know, we're all in the same boat. I think um, it's yeah. talk. I mean, I, you know, we at CH, we have, um, you know, rotational band sevens coming to the AMS, you know, in, into our team on a sort of an yearly basis. It's a long rotation. And I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged sometimes that they don't know where they want to go. and But they, at the same time, they don't feel like they need to know either. They're quite happy okay. where they are. And so I, I am beginning to see that happening and that's great great absolutely that's that's great it's 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 more about exploring who you are I think in the early days even as a band seven you're still exploring elements of pharmacy that you're good at um that you've got skills in and that you're passionate about um I really like the idea of kind of like a portfolio being a portfolio pharmacist and having experience similar to you lots of different areas of pharmacy and obviously when you graduated and you first went into hospital you then realized quite quickly that hey actually I kind of want to know what else is out there and you've explored community pharmacy um you've thought about that PCT type role that existed earlier um for me like I'm working in palliative care in pediatrics, um, absolutely love it. Um, but I also do things with formulary. So we're, we've obviously are working with Southeast London in terms of the ICS and the GP practices and primary care to standardize what we're providing in terms of unlicensed liquids, for example, for, for children and trying to standardize what other hospitals in our area. So Kings, Lewisham, Greenwich, um, to try and standardize what they're they're using alongside us. So when parents are going into hospitals, we're not having a million and one um, changes like with a Meprazole liquid or, you know, Clobazam, Phenobarb, um, because we're having a lot of errors. Um, Once you make those strength changes um, with tiny doses, we've seen, uh, you know, many a times that parents end up giving the wrong amount. Um, simply because of the chop and change. So it's been really useful to link up with other elements of pharmacy and and other people who are working um, in primary care so that we can obviously move things forward um, in terms of how we work and how we help our patients. I also recently started doing some locuming in community pharmacy um, simply because I haven't done it for a long time and I felt with palliative care I mean, it's very rare for a pharmacist in the community to see a palliative care like symptom management plan. You know, um, they say that with GPs, you might see a pediatric palliative care patient once in your entire career. So this also highlights um, a risk in terms of errors happening with tiny doses and high risk medications. And we've had errors in primary care where for example, morphine has been switched from a 100 microgram per mil solution to the 10 milligram and 5 oromorph. And when that switch has happened, dose changes have not happened and the parents give the same amount and obviously overdose their child, um, one of which led to a death. So that investigation kind of brought out um, my 
thinking outside the box, you know, what are we going to do to improve service? You know, how are we going to integrate with primary care to improve what we're doing in the community for these patients? Because we feel safe in our environment because we've got a specialist pharmacist and a team of people who are aware of palliative care dosing. But when you step outside the hospital, that family don't necessarily have that support network. And though they rely on us, Effectively, they're dealing with a GP and a community pharmacy day in, day out to get regular supplies because our patients are all over the country. So, um, you know, we've started thinking about providing education and training sessions to GPs. Um, We're sending the symptom management plans to community pharmacies and giving them a call um, to go through the plan with them and explain to them, you know, where to get the unlicensed medications from, um, not you know, to be sure that you don't make switches to the strengths because of the the risks, etc. And that me going into community and locoming, even if it's just once a month, just gives me some perspective as to what a community pharmacist deals with. Because at the end of the day, like I don't know what they deal with day in, day out and how stressful their environment is and how they can't necessarily go above and beyond for like my patient because they've got 10,000 patients to deal with in comparison to what we do. I've not worked in community for some time, but I I do go to a community pharmacy. And I think that, again, uh, what I see is that they're stressed and they're understaffed. And I think they, they, they have a challenging role and, you know, trying to, to provide even a basic service. Mm. But um, I think where um, hopefully where where things are going is with IT, which isn't you know with the perfect solution. But where you know we're we're involved in projects that are you know to help improve communication when patients leave hospitals that the the community pharmacists are involved. They know what the changes are and what's happened to the patients, and I think that can only be a good thing. Mm-hmm. But it's again, it's restricted to you know to certain patients at higher risk, and then but then you think, isn't it, I don't know if that's totally equitable. And sometimes you can't, you know when they're in hospital for a relatively short time, and you may not have seen them that many times yourself, and you're rushing around. No, not myself, but you know I'm a sort of rotational pharmacist on that thing. Then I imagine it's you know you may not know. I think people can fall to the cracks, but um, I do think hopefully. Things will be changing, you know, with the advent of better IT systems. But I think at the moment, IT is quite clunky. Yeah, and everyone's using different systems. Yeah. But Royal Papworth and CUH use different systems. Oh, do they? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think Cambridge are using Epic, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. We're moving towards that way. We're using Medchart at the moment at Guys and St. Thomas's, but we're moving towards Epic, which is good. Yeah, originally Papworth were meant to be using Epic, but it was cost prohibitive with the new move to the bi- biomedical campus. So we ended up with this Lorenzo. Oh, I haven't and heard of that one. Lorenzo, I think, was the failed joint NHS project one. And, okay. And we were able to access that for, for free if provided under certain, I don't know, jump through some hoops. And so mm. that system that we've got so you've got one kind of sophisticated system uh, like epic that can do virtually anything but it's almost too much you know it takes a while to become 
really familiar to a system that's really does what it says on the tin. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, we 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 have to use so many apps on the job. Um, it's incredible. And coming from Epic, when I was in Abu Dhabi, life felt so simple um, in terms of just using the one system and literally everything you need to survive in your job is on that one app. And then moving to sort of eight or nine apps just for one patient, it just felt so incredibly crazy. Um, But again, these are uh, issues that we have to deal with as pharmacists and healthcare professionals within the NHS, and we can only move forward. We're a little bit slower, but we'll get there. (laughs) So I guess um, I'll take you back to... um, you know, the world of antimicrobial and antifungal. So what was it like when you first got your, um, like when you first worked at Papworth and started getting involved in um, antimicrobials as a role? Um, I, th- I, I think the role initially was sort of um, sort of the cystic fibrosis pharmacists took it on because, the, 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 you know, they obviously use a lot of um you know, patients are brought in electively to have um, antibiotics to treat their exacerbations. And but you know, the, the complexity of the CF pharmacist, it was just finding it too much. You know what I mean? So the, they recognise, and I think the um, Royal Pharmaceutical Society and the UK government recognise. You know, everybody should have an antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist. So that's how my post became created at um, Papworth. And so from there, it's, it was building relation. It was, you know, a sharp trajectory of, um, you know, gaining knowledge and working with the microbiologists and applying that knowledge, you know, on a day-to-day basis. You know, it, it was quite amazing, really. And then he, he kind of... Um, at the start of it, you were still called in to do wards, which is was great from a sort of, you can see what's actually happening on the ground, but you didn't actually have the time to do the actual job of antimicrobial stewardship very easily. Um, but as, you know, my career has pro- progressed, um, the recognition and the importance of antimicrobial stewardship has increased. And so, you know, I have to say, I, I'm left to do my job really in both trusts. And so um, it's m- moved from a hands on working on the ground sort of role to being a bit more strategic now. So um, I have a, a Papworth now, a band seven AMS pharmacist and a, an AMS pharmacy technician. Ooh. And, and so, um, so it's more about developing the service and sort of what you know, trying to do less firefighting and more sort of planning. I think it's been you know I think things have been obviously a challenge over COVID and it's you know even more of a challenge living with COVID where you know your capacity goes up to one hundred and four percent to try and tackle the um, waiting lists. And so we're kind of sort of just beginning that phase. But I think what we're keen to do is to work like yourselves with them and licensed liquids, look at our sort of hospital-acquired pneumonia guidelines and look at our neighbours, CUH, 
and trying to align practices. We share the same um, UKHSA micro lab, and it's, so it's we kind of need to work better together. So I think I'm in a really fortunate position of working in both trusts and have an understanding of how you know that might work together. So um, we've um, a Papworth. We've um, been working to, you know, a lot of our patients are electively brought in to have to deal with their exacerbations. But the new therapies in the CF are seemingly coming about too. So that that's quite good. So what we thought we'd do there is tackle, you know, the lower hanging fruit and look at hospital acquired infections and particularly in our surgical patients. So we've been doing planning for years doing ward rounds and, and, and they'd start and they would stop and then there wouldn't be any, the microbiologist be pulled somewhere else. And so it's been a difficult progress process where we've actually can sort of write, put up, try a different methodology and sort of involve the business teams and the cost improvement teams and engaging with the consultant surgeons to get, get a really genuine multidisciplinary process. And it's through showing the savings from that, the sort of slight decrease in length of stays, the financial savings that we've ended up with about permanent band seven. So so it my role has kind of I've done a few MSC modules at um at Imperial to sort of improve my knowledge and I find the um future learn packages really, really useful for um AMS work but you know I love what I love about it is that there's always something you know it's like being on call you think you've heard it all after 30 years but there's always something new that comes along and and I was struck when I went came back from Bermuda really that after 10 years um, of being out of hospital you know in the NHS we're still struggling and still struggling to this day really of um, you know length of courses on antibiotics and getting people de- reviewed and de-escalated when appropriately you know so um, what we're we're kind of ho- hoping to do is work closely with CUH and the hospital acquire pneumonias there's a big regional we've got a regional NHS pharmacist NHS England pharmacist now who's working on a IV to oral switch program education is going to be a big thing and I'll have to get you know a bit more tech savvy because the way forward is little videos and clips to sort of I don't think you know prescribers don't genuinely go out there to do the wrong thing everybody's really busy aren't they you know and they're, they're just kind of rushing 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 so everything has to be sort of you know made convenient for them to do the right thing Mm, absolutely and I do think IT helps with giving people feedback quicker and so we are beginning to see a bit of a a shift in sort of mentality and in accepting of advice external advice so well yeah it's it's still hard as well like um I mean back in the day even when we audited um you know uh antimicrobials with um and then on a paper drug chart writing the indication and stop date those were the days um <laughs> and, and so then hospitals you know still have yeah based yeah which i do love the paper charts it, it, um, it's, a, it's a lot less clicking yeah you, know, you can get all 
28 charts, charts if you're lucky in one place. Mm. Whereas now you're in and out of each patient. Yeah, yeah, actually, Papworth was really good when I worked there, obviously, as a pre-reg uh, 11 years ago. Um, we would have a lot of drug charts in our treatment rooms ready for us. Yeah. You know? The nurses were always really organized and kind yeah. and made life really easy for us yeah. in comparison to what we deal with today. As a resi, when I was in Oxford, I'd be running around fighting for paper charts or going to the ward like an hour early just so I could get hold of them before ward rounds start because otherwise, you know, someone else is using it. Obviously, there's the beauty of electronic where multiple people can go into the uh, same chart now at the same time actually in in guys in st thomas's the system that we use only one person can be in it so it will highlight who's in the chart and then you can just go and find them to either click out of it or you can override them out of the system if they've been in it for a really long time and probably forgot that they were still in it i mean pulling data is is obviously a massive advantage for your role um, when you've got an IT system and it takes a couple of clicks of a button instead of asking every ward pharmacist to collect data on a certain day and you only get that one day of snapshot information and being able to feed that back to consultants who are driving prescribing and junior doctors who need to be reviewing prescriptions more regularly um, on a day-to-day basis especially when they rotate so much um you know the it systems are, are a game changer in terms of the role which is really exciting so you save so much time collecting the data and you're able to obviously put improvements into the system from a different perspective um, which is really exciting. And it's nice to know that, you know, there is some collaboration going on with with Cambridge and and to see that kind of change being put in place is, is a really rewarding part of your your mm-hmm. job, I assume. Yeah, yeah, it is. And implementing that change is quite exciting. Um, you know, it's, it's good because the role that you've got has a lot of variety. You know, you see patients on the ward, you know, you're working with microbiologists, you're working with consultants, it's very MDT driven. Um, you're going to all the different ward areas because your patients pop up in, in in multiple locations in the hospital. Um, it's good you get your steps in walking around. Um, and But then you've got a lot of finance. There's so much finance involved and cost savings and, um, you know, implementing change. Uh, it's such a huge variety of skill being used within the role, which is good. And it's nice to know you've got a technician too. So what does the technician do in terms of their role? Um they kind of drive um, the some of the old, the audit works and nice. the, you know the technical side of the roles, so they can pull off the reports. They can it, it, the, the reports are built so that you know there's macros in there, so they can just input data, chucks out the reports, so they do those and they feed those back, and they they're big in procurement, and so when we've got supply issues, they kind of drive what's you know what's being reviewed for contract and price-wise alert alert us to that and okay cool they kind of do the more of the technical side of things i'm keen for them to develop their clinical skills in terms of patient counseling so nice keen to sort of try and get them to counsel on aminoglycan toxicity and also sort of azoles voriconazole you know using the need for regular liver test monitoring and skin, you know, 
skin protection, that kind of thing. So that's that's our next step with our um, pharmacy technician. That's exciting, though. That's a really interesting uh, role for them. Provides them again with a different variety of of transferable skills. Yeah. And procurement is a big issue. It's becoming a huge issue getting supplies in and 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 sourcing some. Uh, stable supplies as well um, (laughs) from a variety of sources one day you've got it and the next day you don't and it you know that's reality at the moment unfortunately um I'm conscious of time and um I usually end the podcast by asking you my three favorite questions so um uh, the first one is always being a pharmacist means for me, being a pharmacist means helping, supporting patients to get the best out of their medicines so they can get on with their lives. You know what I mean? It, medicines shouldn't be a big deal, but so it's important to get it right for them. So that's what it, it's about, helping people to help themselves. That's what I see, you know, a bit more. What's that, that's what I enjoy about being a pharmacist. Nice. And if you had to go back in time to when you were a student or when you kind of first qualified as a pharmacist, what sort of advice would you give yourself? Um, listen to yourself. There isn't just one path, you know, just keep going, be resilient, be kind to yourself, you know, and get to know yourself. You know, you don't need to compare yourself with others. You know, there's going to be people who are brighter, smarter, know what they want straight away. But, you know, not everybody's the same and that's okay. I think Agreed. That's I love that. I absolutely love that. And in 10 years' time, I will be? Hopefully having a lion and waking up in my own time and um, sort of – probably in the last 10 years of my you know main career and I hate to be you know well on the way to healthy happy retirement so I can then you know reflect back on what I've done but take on new challenges hobbies agreed yeah love that Excellent. Um, Thank you so much uh, for coming out of your comfort zone and coming onto the podcast, doing something different, Um, you know, without questioning it. um, You know, you've been really kind to support me with Pharmacist Diaries. So I really appreciate that. I've been following you from afar with your PJ articles. Oh, oh yeah. Um, But it was really good to reconnect, you know, after over a decade. And I guess for you, it might be nice to see where I've come um, after finishing as as a pre-reg at Papworth. Um, Good luck with your um, your next child and I hope everything that goes really smoothly. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Pharmacist Diaries UK and on Twitter at Farm Diaries UK. That is P-H-A-R-M Diaries UK. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when a new episode is released. Finally, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave me a review as it will help the podcast reach more people. If you have any suggestions for guests you want me to talk to or if you'd like to come on yourself, please feel free to contact me via social media or email at info at pharmacistdiaries.com.